Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, let's start with the good. And you talk about this in the morning jolt today. Yes, there are still a lot of Democrats who want to kill the legislative filibuster, which right now, unless reconciliation is involved, uh, needs 60 votes to cut off debate and then a simple majority to actually pass the legislation. And while Democrats keep yammering about this and how it's a Jim Crow relic and how uh, the will of the people is being thwarted by the minority, uh Two doses of reality in your piece today that are reason for good news. Number one, uh, all this sturm and drang on the left and the Republicans haven't actually filibustered anything, anything legislatively so far in this Congress. And then number two, uh, the fact that Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, occasionally Mark Kelly and sometimes some others uh, are having problems with these aggressive far left pieces of Democratic legislation. So the reality is, They can't even get to 50-50 in Kamala Harris to break the tie, even if they could kill the filibuster. And so hopefully that means that America and even some of their representatives in Congress on the left don't want to go as far as the base does. Indeed, and I think it's safe to say uh, Senate Democrats thought they would be further along the line in their argument. It was very unlikely they were going to come to Washington, have a 50-50 split and say, you know what, it's time to get rid of the filibuster and everybody would unify. I think the plan, and you saw a little bit of this on the um, the hate crimes bill uh, regarding Asian Americans. There was a little bit of talk about uh, Republicans doing a filibuster there and it ended up fizzling out. There just wasn't the, the consensus within the Republican caucus to do this. But, you know, I think that Democrats thought they'd have a situation where they would be having a bunch of bills that they were passing with 50 votes, or maybe if they were lucky, 51 or 52 votes, they'd be getting filibustered. And you'd be seeing the likes of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema starting to come around. Oh, okay, maybe it is kind of ridiculous that everything gets filibustered. And boy, I voted for that. And I really like to see it become law. And it's really unfair that, you know, 40 Democrat, 40 Republicans can block this from happening. Um, and that you'd really be able to build this moral and, and political argument against the filibuster and say, this is ridiculous. 50, 60 votes is far too many. Uh, we've got a majority in the Senate. We've got a majority. This is what the American people want. It's time to get rid of this legislative relic. And, and you know, and that's just not happening. Uh, now, some of this you could say is, well, and this came from, I got to give credit where it's due. Bill Sherr of the Washington Monthly writes this article and he kind of says, hey, you know, um, whatever happened to the filibuster? We keep hearing, you know, oh, the Senate is broken and Washington is broken and it's kind of ridiculous. And I went back and I checked. The Atlantic magazine has written four articles since March about how important it is to get rid of the filibuster. And again, it's not been used so far this year. It's kind of weird that you're seeing this great drama around the filibuster when it's not being used very much. Now, what they've tried to pass this year has not really been the most controversial stuff but there's a reason for that. And the reason they haven't tried to pass the most controversial stuff is they can't get to 50 Democrats supporting this. Well, if you can't get to 50 votes, it's not really an injustice that you couldn't get to 60 votes. And kind of particularly interesting, I like this uh, comment that uh, came from one of our reporters looking at uh, the proposal about court packing. Um, never mind the usual suspects of, you know, uh, Manchin and Mark Kelly and Kirsten Cinema. 
Um, you've also got Michael Bennett of Colorado, Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada, and Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine, of all people, uh, one of our senators who are either opposed or at minimum kind of wary about this. So there's this comment from Hawaii Senator Brian Schatz who says, this is in the category of things that couldn't muster 50 votes and probably couldn't muster 40 votes, right? So you add all that up, the, the, you know, the, the Democrats can't really say, oh, the filibuster is why we can't get our ideas turned into law. No, no, the problem is you can't get 50 Democrats to unify. That's your first step there. And lo and behold, you know, guess what? Legislating is hard. The bigger and more ambitious, more sweeping your proposal it is, the harder it is to get all 50 members of your caucus all on board with this. Maybe you have people who like the idea in theory, but then they see it on paper, on, on you know, uh, actually written out, and they can see something that might not play well for their uh, state. By the way, there are a whole bunch of Democratic secretaries of state who looked at HR one and said, you know, this is this, some of this stuff is going to be difficult to implement. Some of this stuff might actually be counterproductive. You know, so you look at all of this and you realize all these different things that Democrats want to do. There's this popular perception. Well, the problem is Mansion, and yeah, Mansion is as we've talked about in this podcast many times. He is the uh, no pun intended the bulwark, or he is the most you know significant obstacle. But there's a bunch of issues. You've got Kirsten Cinema. You've got Mark Kelly, who's kind of either drifting in that position or just kind of openly recognizing that he's going to be up for re-election a little sooner than, uh, than he expected. He represents the same state. Uh, and then there are a bunch of other Democrats here and there who aren't board, on board with this proposal here or that proposal there. So you know, the issue is for them is not really the, the, the filibuster. The issue for them is they can't reach 50. And not only is that good for us, I think it also undermines the argument for filibuster reform. It arguments, undermines the argument that Democrats have this enormously popular agenda and that the real problem is that the structures of the government under the constitution are somehow unfair to them or something like that. So all of that is good. And it also indicates that, you know, really all Republicans need to do is hold out until election, until basically January of 2023. November 2022 midterms, you know, knocking on wood, still very early, but it's looking pretty good for them to at least get the House, which would then give him them some ability to uh, uh, have a little more influence over the legislative agenda in Washington for the remainder of Biden's term, first term, presidency, however we want to characterize it. Yeah, hopefully the presidency is uh, four years uh, at the most uh, for Joe Biden. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right about the midterms. First of all, I think it's going to be much easier to uh, get the House than the Senate. Not that it's going to be easy to get the House. Uh, and I'm sure there will be filibusters coming up soon if Schumer wants to bring these things to the floor, but he can't do it unless there's actually 50 Democratic votes. So uh, be fun to see exactly uh, how this plays out. But until there's actually a filibuster, it's pretty hard to argue that Republicans are uh, filibustering legislation that everybody wants to see. All right, let's talk about other ways to put a smile on your face, and that's saving money. And whether that's your personal uh, packages and, and letters or what you're sending out through your business, stamps.com is the way to go. Because look, are you still going to the post office? Are you still paying full price for postage? Well, thanks to stamps.com, you don't have to do that anymore. You can mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. You can send letters, ship packages, and pay a lot less with discounted rates from the U.S. Postal Service, UPS, and more. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer, and it is a must-have for any business. Whether you're a small office sending out invoices, a side hustle, Etsy shop shipping out orders, or just navigating this hybrid work life, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. 
No wonder more than 1 million businesses choose Stamps.com for their mailing and shipping. With Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off the post office rates and up to 66% off of UPS shipping rates. Not to mention Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting that time going to the post office and save a lot of money at the same time. Just go to Stamps.com. There's also no risk. And with our promo code 3Martini, all one word, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments, no contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in, all one word, 3Martini. Spell it all out. That's Stamps.com, promo code 3Martini. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right, Jim. While the Democrats are fighting over legislation and not being able to get to 50 votes on a lot of things most of them would like to get done, and we're certainly enjoying that, uh, Republicans are fighting over personnel and who's in the leadership, particularly on the House side. This has already flared up once in this Congress. Uh, Liz Cheney, of course, the House Conference Chair, Congresswoman from Wyoming, daughter of the former vice president, I think everybody knows that, voted to impeach President Trump in the wake of the January 6th riots up on Capitol Hill. Ever since then, she has uh, been in the crosshairs of the pro-Trump side of the Republican Party. She survived one no-confidence vote. But it appears that another one could be coming soon, and this time the rest of the leadership might not be standing behind her too much. It's still kind of all murky right now. Trump has released statements talking about how he doesn't even think she's going to run for Congress again. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how she's not ruling out a presidential run. Uh, But uh, this is coming from CNN now. Liz Cheney saying on Monday her party cannot accept the poison of the idea that the 2020 election was stolen and should not quote-unquote, whitewash the January 6th Capitol riot and Donald Trump's role in fomenting it. Quote, we can't embrace the notion the election is stolen. It's a poison in the bloodstream of our democracy, Cheney said, speaking behind closed doors at a conference in Sea Island, Georgia. We can't whitewash what happened on January 6th or perpetuate Trump's big lie. It is a threat to democracy. What he did on January 6th is a line that cannot be crossed. And so... Uh, A top aide to House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy told The Hill Monday, there's no way that Liz will be conference chair by month's end. When there is a vote, it won't be a long conference. It will be fast and everyone knows the outcome. So, uh, Jim, this is obviously an issue that is uh, dividing the right. I don't know how evenly divided. It could be lopsided one way or the other. Uh, But it seems like on the one hand, you've got uh, the Liz Cheney faction uh, that says, look, we can't really move forward until we uh, agree with uh, my take on what happened on January 6th. And uh, you got the rest of the party saying uh, we need to move on here. So how does this get resolved? Yeah. So this is our bad martini because feels like it's starting to eat up more and more oxygen in the room uh, for the Republican Party at a time when Biden's trying to do stuff. We talked in the previous martini about how uh, the lack of support and lack of unity within the Democratic caucus is going to hinder some of what they want to do. But he's still got executive orders. He's still got judicial nominations. He's still got the entire executive branch to enact policies. And this is, you know, when you'd like to have Republicans unified and focused on this. I kind of don't think that on May the 4th, May the fourth be with you. The preeminent <laughs> issue before the Republican Party ought to be, well, what do you think of Trump? 
Uh, Trump, yes, he's still issuing statements a little more often, but he's not on Twitter. I guess Facebook's going to review whether he's banned this week. Trump is not front and center in the Republican Party anymore. The, the center of gravity and the focus of what is going on in American government has moved on. Regarding January 6th, look, the, the Department of Justice is prosecuting all those folks. They're going to have their day in court. I kind of feel like that aspect has largely been resolved, although maybe if you want to do a, a commission, fine. I don't like the Pelosi plan. I think you want to make this as bipartisan or as nonpartisan as possible. Um, but like we've we've got business to do, we got work to do. And while I'm you know more sympathetic to the Liz Cheney position than I am to the Kevin McCarthy position, you know there is a time to move on. And this question of you know whether you want, I guess it's an interesting question of are you a pro- post-Trump Republican or are you an anti-Trump Republican? Because I have the sneaky like there's an argument of I don't know that that this is the right said should be the preeminent issue. Uh, my colleague uh, Kevin Williamson has a really interesting article and an interview with uh, Michael Wood who ran in that very crowded Texas primary down in the Texas 6th Congressional District. Didn't do all that well. I think he ended up like, uh, was it your fifth or something out of nine Republicans? It was not great. You know, so uh, fifth among Republicans, ninth overall in a 23 candidate, as, as Kevin characterizes it, bipartisan goat rodeo of an election. But you look at this interesting question. And he, so obviously, look, this is not an anti-Trump party. So, you know, Liz Cheney can speak her mind. And it's worth noting that Sea Island, Georgia comments were behind closed doors, but I think she should recognize by now anything she says to a Republican audience about Trump is going to get leaked at some point and it's going to end up becoming news. I don't mind Liz Cheney being an outspoken critic of Trump. I don't mind her saying that the election was fair and square, that there was no massive voter fraud, it was not stolen, et cetera, et cetera. But like I said, it's now, we're now six months from the election. It's, it's time to start focusing on what's going on in the here and now. And I don't want criticizing Trump to turn into Liz Cheney's shtick, because I think there's a lot more to her than that. Don't go Jen Rubin on us, Congresswoman. Please don't turn into a uh, Max Boot. You know, like you, if you don't become uh, Johnny or Jeannie OneNote in, in emphasizing how m- opposed you are to Trump. I'm sure that's, that's probably great for the fundraising. I don't think it will kill her in Wyoming. Trump's confident she's going to lose. I seem to remember Matt Gates saying that she was going to lose the, uh, the conference vote, uh, House Republican conference vote about a you know, month or two ago. So I think she's relatively secure where she is. But I do think it's fair for the Kevin McCarthy's of the world to say, OK, everybody knows what you think of Trump. Everybody knows what you think of the 2020 election. Can you please stop pounding the drum on this issue? Because if you're the Republicans, that's in the past. We kind of need to focus on the present. We need to focus on the future. Could Trump run again? Sure. And if Liz Cheney wants to, as we talked earlier, a couple of podcasts ago, if she wants to run for president, fine, go ahead. I don't think it's going to go very well, but you know, it's a free country. If she wants to uh, campaign for anybody else running against Trump in the, in the, go fine, go right ahead. But for now, we need to be focusing on what Biden's doing right now what they can do to keep their caucus unified and try to you know, make it as hard as possible for the Democrats to get their stuff passed through there. And we need to focus on the 2022 midterms. And the more time Liz Cheney and Donald Trump are in this you know, non-Twitter back and forth battle, uh, the worse it is for Republicans. And I guess the other thing is like, you know, look, January 6th was awful. January 6th was abominable. But January 6th was uh, you know, five months ago. Time to move on. Time, you know, like, like, let the Department of Justice handle all that stuff because that's the, the proper venue for this. I don't understand why a Republican congresswoman would feel the need to talk about this over and over and over again when there's so many other things going on in the world right now. So that's where I stand on, on Liz Cheney. And I, I just, I'd hate to see her uh, turn into somebody who has kind of become 
uh, defined by her never Trump status and all other policy issues kind of fall by the wayside. I'd, I'd really like to see the Republican Party become more focused on policy than on personality. But to do that, the Trump critics kind of have to move on from him as well. Could be very uncomfortable in the Republican House conference as long as uh, she continues in that role. But you don't have to be uncomfortable when it comes to your products from my pillow, and that includes your towel sets. So wrap yourself in the soothing, soft feel of a my pillow towel. I've talked about these things many different times. They're very soft. They're fluffy. They're incredibly absorbent, uh, and they just are—they're nice and big. Uh, they're just fantastic products. So the six-piece towel set, in addition to being a really good towel set is now massively on sale, regularly $109.99. Now you can get it for just $44.98. MyPillow towel sets are made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft without that lotion-y feel. They're made from cotton grown right here in the United States. They're available in a variety of colors, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Each set includes two bath sheets, two hand towels, and one two-pack washcloth. Use them every day. Uh, can't uh, recommend them highly enough, especially at this price. Are you kidding me? Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Square, enter the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, MyPillow premium pillows, and the new My Slippers. Get your MyPillow six-piece towel set for only $44.98, but you can only do that with our promo code MARTINI. Or when you call 800-874-0104. And of course, if you visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, let's get to our crazy news. And even as the CDC inches, crawls forward with its uh, new guidance that eases things up in terms of coronavirus restrictions. And I think I saw a report that uh, the teachers unions were actually involved in determining what the science was. From, uh, from the government perspective, but that's not the point of this particular uh, martini. Up in Massachusetts, Governor Charlie Baker, a Republican officially, uh, lifted the state's outdoor mask mandate last week in accordance with the CDC's new guidance. And so whether you're vaccinated or not, uh, the CDC said it's fine to take your mask off outside so long as you keep your distance from strangers. Uh, so Baker signs off on that following the guidance. Meanwhile, Brookline, the Boston suburb, has said, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Their quote is, out of an abundance of caution and in our residents' best interest, the town of Brookline will not follow suit with the state's decision to lift the outdoor mask mandate today. Our face covering requirement has served as a protective layer that limits the possibility of spreading COVID-19, and we are reluctant to relax it at this time without further public input and review by the Advisory Council on Public Health. So... Jim, I guess um, the CDC is not good enough for them. Um, I mean, it's certainly lost some credibility in, in the minds of us, given how many flip-flops they've done here in the past few months. But the fact that they've actually gotten to this point means we can be pretty confident, especially as you know things are warm, there's breezes out there, uh, the numbers are going down in most parts of the country. Uh, should be pretty safe out there. Lots of people have been doing it for a long time with no uh, obvious consequences. But Brookline, I don't know if they're virtue signaling here or they just want to be uh, the last ones to be quote-unquote safe. But uh, 
they're defying even the uh, the liberals in the government. What do you make of this? Well, yeah, I was going to say this. There's no doubt that this is virtue signaling because out of all the things you can say about the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and, and the rest of, you know, you can throw in Fauci in there. You can throw in all of the government experts who are helping shape public policy. I don't think crazy and reckless is a term you can, can apply to them. I think if anything, they've been way too cautious throughout this process. I think it took them a long time to come up with a... Uh, recommendations for those vaccines. We were, we were like a good six, seven weeks into vaccinations before they said, hey, here's what you can do when you're vaccinated. Here's what you can't do. Um, the travel guidance didn't come out to like the Friday before uh, Easter weekend, I think it was, or, or so the week before Easter break, spring break, something like that. It was just a, uh, they've been very slow to this process. So the idea that, ah, uh, you know, Walensky, you know, she, I think she jumps out of airplanes with, with, you know, without checking the parachute, you know, the, the CDC, they're, they're, they're uh, adrenaline junkies over there. They love to take big risks. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're, they are Burt to the Ernie. They're Murtaugh <laughs> to the Riggs, whichever pop culture reference you want there. But I'm kind of like, you look at what's going on in Brookline, you know, to come and say, oh, well, the, the CDC, they're too crazy, wild and dangerous for us. We, we gotta, we gotta be even more careful than they are. Greg, I know a plutocracy is when government is run by the wealthy. I know a cacistocracy is when government is run by those least suitable or competent. And I'll let you decide whether you think that applies to us. But what do we call it when a government is run by the most neurotic citizens that they can possibly find? Because it really does feel like, you know, you know, sometimes we're talking about education and we get frustrated by like how the pace of the class is set by the slowest kid in class. Yes. Um, it really does feel like the reopening process is set by the most neurotic, the most anxiety ridden, the most nervous and most risk averse person in the governing process. Uh, and that it's got to reach the point where everybody is particularly, and in a way, like this is probably what lots of Americans are navigating amongst their groups of friends or groups of family members where like, you and uh, your parents and your brother and your sister-in-law and all these, other, all of them are fine. Everybody's kind of comfortable. Everybody's been vaccinated or, or everybody's feeling good about that. But your cousin is completely nervous about this sort of stuff and doesn't want to come to the family get together because he thinks you're all crazy. Because if you took off your mask once back in April and they're convinced that it's just been lurking in your system and waiting for the last, the right moment to, to jump out and get you. Um, again, Brookline is just kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's the kind of place that like, you know, is full of, um, not just folks on the left, but I think folks who are, um, performatively left maybe is the right term. Uh, <laughs> and so it's, it, it's not surprising that a community would do this. It does seem though that like, uh, it, it's just kind of fascinating. We found people in America who look at Walensky and Fauci and say, oh, those guys, psh, they're, they're, they're crazy and risky. They're risk takers, man. I'm not doing what they're doing. You know, I mean, it's, it's akin to, you know, when, when Biden said the other day that it was his patriotic duty to continue wearing a mask when interacting with other people who are vaccinated. He's fully vaccinated. These other people are fully vaccinated. Greg, who's he going to catch the virus from in that scenario? Yeah. And he said that you need to wear a mask even after you're vaccinated and so you don't infect your unvaccinated friends and family. I don't think he understands exactly what's happening here. And the next thing is, you know, is there a you know, question? Can people who are vaccinated get the virus? Yeah, it can happen. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. And then the next thing is, can people who are vaccinated carry the virus and give it to somebody else? Theoretically, yeah, but it reduces your viral load anywhere to like a quarter to a tenth of what it usually would be. I like those odds, particularly if I'm vaccinated. So it's a question, like once you reach the point of like, well, if you're, you're out of the mentality of any potential 
risk of spreading the, the virus. If, it, if it's 1%, well, then we have to treat it as if you're, this person is infected and we can't go near him. We got to stay six feet away and we got to wear masks and all that kind of stuff. And it was, I wrote yesterday about the, um, the New York Times had this enormously depressing front page, top of the, top of the webpage article, basically saying that we're never going to reach herd immunity. And I read through it. I'm not sure I buy it completely. Yes, it's going to be tough. Yes, it's going to be close. I think we can get close. And then the question then is, you know, are, is it close enough? But, you know, we don't know exactly what that percentage is going to be. We used to think it was closer to 60%. Now they're saying closer to 80%, maybe even above 80%. But, you know, it's not like it's 79.9%. You've got no protection. But then once bloop, it goes over to 80, you're fine, right? You know, it's a dimmer switch. The more people get vaccinated, and the more people who also get the virus and then beat it off and still have the antibodies in their system, you end up with a perfect, you know, like that all helps. It gets you closer and closer to herd immunity. So it's one of those things where it just seemed like this giant heaping serving of depression saying, oh, we're never going to be rid of this thing. Look, we can get pretty darn close to it. And then it eventually turns into something akin to the seasonal flu. And as long as you're, you get, get vaccinated, might we need boosters to deal with the variants? Yeah, we might, but it's okay. You know, we all get our flu shots in the winter. Yeah, we don't shut down society over getting the flu up, uh, you know, up uh, in the last you know decade or so. It could turn into something like that, and I can live with that. We can still go about and live our lives. So anyway, just don't be in Brookline and just don't cough on the president. <laughs> We're seeing who's reluctant to relinquish power. It's very, very telling and fascinating to watch. So uh, keep keep tabs on these people, folks. Uh, Jim, good to be with you as always. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch Podcast if you don't already. We are extremely grateful for those of you who have given us uh, five-star ratings and kind reviews. Uh, also, tell your friends about the podcast. Get us on those home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch Podcast, and it will play it for you. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.